Hey guys, Montel here, and welcome to this edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Today's guest is an accomplished leader with over a decade of experience in the digital marketing, consumer targeting, grassroots campaigns, or social media. He's advised and worked with some brands and the largest brands and agencies in the world, including Microsoft, AT&T, Honda, Starbucks, NBC, Red Bull, and more. He's now taken on the helm as the president of Cannabis Company formerly known as Columbia Care. Jesse Cannon, Jesse Channon, welcome to Let's Be Long Montel. Thanks so much, Montel. Absolutely. So that's say your last name right. Is it Cannon or Channon? Shannon, like an S. Shannon. Okay, I'm so sorry, but thank you for, for correcting me, my friend. No Look, let's, let's talk a little bit about your background, man. Where are you from? Where did you grow up? Where did you go to school? Yeah, I was born in New York, uh, moved down to Atlanta, uh, which is where I currently live with my family now at a, at a, a fairly young age. Uh, went to Auburn University, uh, made my way back up to D.C., uh, had a couple of startups that ultimately one was acquired, ended up back in New York, spent about a decade or so on Madison Avenue. And then uh, as many New Yorkers did right in the beginning with COVID, I uh, headed out of the city and, and, like I said, landed back here in Atlanta. In Atlanta. Well, you know, it's very interesting because I uh, I'm uh, just literally partnered up with botanical sciences out of Georgia and um Hopefully, I'll have product in the marketplace in uh, Georgia and Atlanta area in the next thirty days or so. That'd be amazing. I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure people around here would be excited to see it. I'm psyched. I'm psyched. I've been down a couple of times for a couple of the, the dispensaries openings and openings, and um, looking forward to, to helping try to move the legal market forward. Though you guys have got some very interesting issues going on in Georgia right now, especially with uh, the illicit market and. You know, just people just doing whatever the hell they want to do down there. It was kind of crazy. I think, uh, I think unfortunately, Georgia is like many markets <clears throat> where the illicit market is uh, still still running a bit wild. But hopefully, as yourself and others continue to introduce safe product, brands that people can start to rely on and start to enjoy, we'll, we'll see that market shrink. So let's talk for a little bit. When, when did you get into cannabis and what brought you to the cannabis industry? So, so I've been in the space for a little over four years now. Uh, I was working, as you mentioned, mainly in digital startups, uh, ad tech, uh, some influencer stuff early on, um, and had the opportunity to meet our founder, co-founder, and uh, former CEO, Nick Vita, at an event years ago, and just kept in touch with him and you know, was, was talking with him a bit about what I was going to do next, was fundraising to potentially start another company. And he said, well, that sounds really interesting, but why don't you come do this for a while and let's see what happens. And that's that's honestly how I got into it. It's been an incredible journey since then, but uh, I owe it all to to Nick. And where is uh, the headquarters of uh, your company? So we're headquartered in New York, uh, but we have <laughs> offices across the country. Uh, we operate in 16 states right now, um, and we have some fairly large shared service offices in places like New York, in Denver, uh, in Maryland, and Massachusetts. Well, you know, it's really funny. You just hit two of the places I'm in. I'm in Georgia and I'm also in Massachusetts right now with product, uh, product on the shelves. And uh, I, I was up there at one point. And I was, it was, I think, one of 30 plus dispensaries now still. I go up there quite often to uh, uh, do some pop-up visits and things like that. Um, how have you been navigating uh, being a multi-state you know, stakeholder in this industry? How do you navigate all of the different legislative requirements from every single individual state? 
uh, with, with a lot of really smart people on the team. It's, it's tough, right? I mean, I always joke around when I first got into the space and people would ask me what it was like working in the industry. It's like running a multinational company inside of the United States, right? You have every state to your point has a slightly different regulatory framework. Um, there's things that you can do. There's things you can't do. Uh, you have a, a sort of a wide spectrum of everything from earlier, more conservative medical programs all the way through fully mature adult use and recreational programs like we participate in Colorado and California. Um, so we really kind of see it all. And we've been around for, I think we're actually the longest standing MSO, so about 12 years now. Um, so we've really seen the, the growth and, and maturation of that model of multi-state. Um, the, the only thing that I can say is it's it's a, it's a bit of organized chaos, right? I mean, that's that's really what you're dealing with internally. And I mean, you've got to be fighting legal battles every single step along the way. Um, I'm just thinking in terms of now, are you a vertical in every single state that you're in? We are. Yeah. So, so we have a vertical presence across the country where we operate. <clears throat> I think that's probably one of the hallmarks of what's become known as, as the MSO model. Um, you know, it's it gives us an incredible opportunity to... Uh, you know, provide our own first party products, but also launch third party partnerships and brands uh, across the country as well. Um, so cultivation, manufacturing and, and ultimately distribution and retail across the country. You know, very interesting is uh, we ought to, uh, offline after we get done this interview, I'll, I'll have my officers reach out to you because we ought to talk a little bit because I've had some success with you know, our brand and the brand seems to be well received everywhere it's at. I'm doing some things that are different than anybody else. I actually started doing things differently than anybody else in this business a long, long time ago. So I've been around for 20 years. I'm one of those old, 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 old OGs. Well, I, I would love that. And I know with your background and some of the things that you're passionate about, some of the places that you donate your time and, and resources, I think we're, we're probably pretty aligned in, in some of the, the, the communities that we serve. So it'd be great to catch up. And look, partnerships have always been a bit of our DNA, right? So I was lucky enough to help launch Tyson 2.0 with Mike. Um, you know, we're now going to be working with some some additional uh, people who are authentically connected to the product moving forward. Um, and and it, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I've been, you know, involved in, in cannabis now for 24 years. Uh, one of the originals way, way back in 2000, um, literally started testifying before legislatures all over the country to help uh, ensure that the patients like myself had access to, you know, an efficacious medication. And then, you know, I got involved in actually producing my own products and I'm, I happen to be the manufacturer for the products or the formulator for the products that we have. Every single state we go into, we have to find another contract manufacturer, but they manufactured our specifications and, um, you know, they've been well received. So I've been really happy about that. So I'd love to find a, an MSO like yourself that uh, I could probably see if we can expand it. Well, we, we appreciate what you've done and what so many of others have done. I mean, we're definitely walking down a road that was paved by others. So no, definitely no. appreciate it. No, absolutely. What's your perspective, though? And, you know, recently, have you started the, I know you have, and I'm sure that your legal office came running in a couple of weeks ago when the FDA, you know, sent their memo to the DEA and then HSS yep. sent out a couple of them talking about the fact that for now, all of a sudden, like a light bulb went off in their head and they're saying, wow, we really have figured out that there is some really efficacious use of cannabis in America. Shut the fuck up. Um, you know, they, they, they say these things as if it just happened yesterday when they've known it's happened for the last 22 years. 
Um, you know, it's a uh, government is sort of like the wheel of justice, right? Like it turns slow and, you know, justice is supposed to turn true. I, we'll see about government. But I think the, the reality is I'm sure it's incredibly frustrating for yourself and others, to your point, who've been out there for decades saying the obvious. Um, you know, the unredacted letter from the HHS, right, the 252 page document that went to the DEA is pretty objective. Like there's not a whole lot that you can argue inside of that. They did that. That's an enormous amount of work um, and a lot of very concrete, obvious sort of conclusions to your point that that, that were came to there. Um, we have a we have a situation where this is obviously something that has medical benefit. It's obviously something that has a use case, and it is obviously nowhere near as damaging as other substances that are currently listed alongside of it in Schedule 1. So I, I'm very confident that we're going to see some common sense regulatory reform here soon. Well, yeah, you know, this memo basically reiterated what the federal government said themselves 22 years ago when they gave themselves a patent. And a lot of people don't even understand the Fed gave themselves a patent. And this is what scares me a little bit about that memo, because they are really talking about rescheduling something from Schedule 1 to Schedule 3, bringing it under the purview of the FDA to allow them to prescribe a medication. And normally the FDA doesn't allow for prescriptions of uh, botanicals. But in this case, you know, um, let's say they go ahead and decide that they're going to do that. What What's to stop the FDA from saying that, you know, homeboy, all of you guys, everybody, even all the MSOs, all you've been doing is infringing upon their patent and you need to stop immediately because we're taking over and we're going to start selling this out of CVSs and, you know, Walgreens across the country and anybody in the dispensary are selling or in the legal gray market. I mean, what's that going to do? I, well, I mean, what it would do would be catastrophic, right? And I think that the people that would be most catastrophic for would be the consumers and, and the, the people that rely on these products, right? I mean, I think that, you know, the, look, the, the toothpaste has left the tube a bit yep. on this industry. And we know that the number, the number one thing that we're fighting, you, you talk about the illicit market, you talk about safe supply chains, like knowing what you're putting in your body and where has this product been? Where's it been stored? How's it been transported? The number one threat to that is accessibility and affordability. And accessibility comes from a supply chain that is reliable and consistent and, you know, that you can you can get it when you need it. And affordability comes from scale. And so at the end of the day, the MSOs and other large operators across the country are standing ready to turn Canopy on across the country in these markets that will provide scale, which will lower costs, which will make it more accessible and affordable for people to have safe product. And if the government puts themselves in between that, history has shown us anything um it's that will that will slow down that process potentially even cripple it and the, the people that it hurts the most look it would be catastrophic for our shareholders and for businesses and stuff like that don't get me wrong and i don't think it will happen by the way but but you know brother i really want to agree with you i'm telling you i have been saying myself you know nah 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 they can't be that asinine but yes they can that they can be that asinine. I mean, you've got some diehard, got some diehard old bastards who haven't died yet, who have literally been controlling the narrative for the last 10 years from McConnell on down. You got McConnell, you know, who made sure that the hemp bill passed because he wanted to make sure Kentucky went, got back into the business of growing hemp that it was in. A lot of people don't know Kentucky was probably one of the biggest suppliers of cannabis back in the mid 60s and early 70s. We all think it came from Humboldt County, but it didn't. It came from down in Kentucky and uh, outskirts of Tennessee. So now all of a sudden they're back to 
providing and, and growing a lot of the product that we've seen in the marketplace out here right now that, you know, is being turned into Delta eight. So, you know, it would not surprise me at all if the Fed just stepped in and especially, you know, depending on who takes control of the office the next time around, you know, if it's, if it's, you know, Trump and, you know, he can get Uday and Kuse in after he takes over the entire industry, he would do that. I'm talking about, you know, his sons, Uday and Kuse, but if he got them in, you know, he would probably say, yeah, I can make some money off of this. Anybody selling cannabis is selling it illegally and only we get to sell it legally. Boom. Next thing you know, all the dispensaries in the country have to shut down. I mean, all we've all been waiting for is, is Trump branded weed. I can, I can tell you that right now that it, it would look great on an eighth jar. So, you know, well, we'll see. Yeah. 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 And, you know, it would sell out because, I mean, most people don't understand that one of the only things that the the people of January 6th had in common with anybody else is the fact that everybody was smoking a lot of weed when they were busting down the doors of the Capitol. Man, I'm telling you, I joke around about this all the time. This country loves weed. Like, it's it's not that well kept of a secret at this point. And so our job as an industry is to convert the the supply available in this country to the safest supply possible. That's the job. Absolutely. Absolutely. And see, then when you say that, though, from my perspective, how the hell can I trust someone who for the last 30 years has said no, 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 no to cannabis? It doesn't work. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Then all of a sudden tomorrow I'll say, OK, yeah, it works. And I'm going to get into it. And I'm going to sell it to you. And screw FDA. I mean, these are the guys who've been jumping up and down, even though they lied when they filled out their application for their patent back in 2001 and or 1999 and gave themselves a patent in 2002. In their patent application, they stated unequivocally about how much they believed that cannabis was an efficacious medical product. But then for the last 30 years, they've turned around and lied and said, no, 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 we didn't say that. We never believe that. Oh, bullshit. Now, all of a sudden, they're going to say, yeah, we believe it works. So we should be the only ones providing it because we can do the best. No, they can't. You know, it's <laughs> in the legacy market that has really produced the best products that are out there. I, I'm going to tell you right now, there's no way I'm arguing with you about it. I think you're, <laughs> I think you're better educated on it, but... But some of your opinions, you know, scare me. So I'm, I'm rooting for the under and, you know, I'll, I'll bet you a bottle of wine on the under. OK, yeah, yeah, I'll take that back because, I mean, I, I, I will tell you, I think that coming in the next. Well, first off, you know, if Uday Kuse gets in, then I think it might do good for the entire industry. Honestly, to tell you the truth. Uh, but, you know, this current administration, you know, they they lied to us back when they were running for office back in 2000. I mean, really right up to 2000, they were saying the first hundred days that we get in office, we're going to make sure that we reschedule and we change the laws. And now it's like, what, 200 days before they get out of office and they're talking smack. They haven't talked to me smack yet. And remember, Biden was the guy who stepped up to the plate and said, I still believe that cannabis is a, uh, a gateway drug. What? Who's schooling this fool? Uh, so, look, we we haven't been done a whole lot of favors by this administration. I think, I think that's pretty obvious. I, I do think it's, you know, obviously President Biden's had some interesting run-ins with drugs with regards to his family. And, Correct. And, and, I, and, I, and I, we got it. We got it. The hat's got to come off and you got to say, I, I understand where you're coming from, my friend. Yeah, however, but, however, <laughs> that was not the drug of choice that any family member you had was using. Go ahead. I'm sorry. You know, you're 100% right. If I was sitting at a table with him right now, I would look across him and I would say, with all due respect, President Biden, I, I don't think a pre-roll is what caused those videos of your son with in those compromising positions. I don't think that was the drug that was right. his game. Right, right. 
So, you know, I mean, so I, I guess, I mean, my, so, so put a crystal ball on. What do you think? I mean, you've been in this business now. You've been, you've yeah. been working in the business for a while. Here comes this memo from HSS. How long do you think it will be before the DEA responds, even responds, A, and B, how long do you think before the, anything tangible actually comes out of it? So, look, I think that is the, you know, like the, the $1.3 billion question right now, depending on what your company's worth, right? It's uh, it's it's an interesting question. I, I don't pretend to be the most educated crystal ball, you know, politician guy in the world, but here we go. I'll give it a shot. I think that the Democrats and the Biden administration recognizes that there are basically two things that this country agrees on at over 80%, and it's that cannabis should be changed as far as regulatory, and pizza is good. And you nailed it when you said over 80%. It just, I think I saw a poll that just came out a couple of weeks ago saying 92% of the American public believes that cannabis should be made available as a medical agent. And we finally cracked, went from 69.1% to 70.1%. So now you got 70% of the constituents who believes that it should be just legal for adult use. I don't think, I would be hard pressed to tell you another issue that we all agree on more with more alignment other than people in the UK drive on the wrong side of the road. Like I, I can't think of anything else at 92%. And so I, I think the reality is we all understand politics, right? To, to an extent. Um, this election that's coming up is obviously incredibly important to the administration. I think they recognize that there's going to have to be some movements and things that they're going to do that they need to do to win back some of the independents and some of the younger voters that are not showing up in the polls as strongly as they did previously for the last election. This is an issue that seems to matter to those constituents that they're well aligned around. I think it's an easy win for them. If I had to take a guess, I would say within the next 30 days, you could see it show up in the federal register because it's going to need to get there soon if they're going to get this done but before the general. So I think it's going to move. But now what's scary, though, is if it does show up in the federal register and dropping it from one to three, it's going to throw a monkey wrench, I think, into you know states' rights. I mean, because now all of a sudden the Fed's going to try to step in and take over something that, again, from a consumer standpoint, there was an article that just came out. I'm trying to find it here. There's an article that just came out saying that one third of all marijuana consumers would return to the illicit market if rescheduling restricts access to pharmacies, new poll fines, meaning if they go ahead and reschedule this and make it schedule three and say that pharma, big pharma gets to produce it and sell it. Most people who are consumers of cannabis and have been consumers of cannabis for the last 20 years are not going to trust a bunch of assholes who said yesterday that it didn't work. I mean, how the hell am I going to walk into a place and buy? It's like saying, hmm, let me think here. Uh, uh, there's a group of people who say that, that it's only inevitable that you die in flying an airplane. So go buy a ticket. Yeah, they, they run Delta. It's like, wait, wait, what? Well, that feels like what? a conflict of interest there. It's, uh, no, I, look, I think well said. And again, there's so much that we don't know. And I don't want to be the one that pretend to, pretends to have all the answers. But I can tell you that the numbers that you're seeing are the same numbers that other people are seeing. And a lot of those people serve at the pleasure of the administration. And they are not going to do anything to jeopardize their position or the position of the administration by doing something that one third of all Americans would be unbelievably unhappy about. So I think it's just you have to sort of look at that game a bit and, and human nature and say, I think schedule one to schedule three gives them a really easy win that removes 280E. 
It, it creates a normalcy with regards to our tax rates. It, it secures these businesses, makes them free cash flow positive, operational cash flow positive. It puts the industry in a much better position. And it also allows them to kind of stay hands off if they want to. And I think that's what they're going to do. Yeah, because I guess they would then grandfather in dispensaries kind of under this nebulous category of right. pharmacy, I guess, right? Well, technically, most states that we operate, we are members of a pharmacy program as part of the licensing, especially as it comes through uh, you know, medical programs, right? We still have pharmacists that work in a number of our markets that actually dispense the product. So we, during the beginning of COVID, when we were sort of deemed an essential service and we stayed open to continue to provide access for communities, most of that was through being part of a pharmacy program or being seen as a participation of pharmacy. Got it. So now, okay, so the farms, let's say the dispensaries do stay in place and they're then allowed to operate. I will bet you that will happen though is there's going to be some significant new entity assigned above all state entities when it comes to regulations. There'll just be some other box that has to get checked by some other asshole, but that's going to go in place. And that might not be that bad. It might not be that bad. And look here at the end of the day, you know, we operate in a very, very regulated framework right now, right? Like our businesses are incredibly regulated. Regulatory is nothing new to us. So if they add an additional layer of you know, safety and security from a regulatory point of view for cultivation or manufacturing or, or anything else with regards to the product, I think we're comfortable dealing in that framework because we're already in incredibly regulated. Yep, yep, yep. Okay, and, and now when they do that, say I got another question for you because maybe you might sure. have an idea. It's like, okay, so the Fed comes in and goes one to three. Yep. Does that say one to three for medical or does that say one to three for adult use? Does that take adult use off the table? It's almost like saying, hmm, uh, in certain states, we're going to prescribe you bottles of beer, but in other states, we'll just let you go ahead and buy the bottles of beer under the state regulations. You know what I mean? I, I, would, imagine, I would imagine that it is treated as, as a substance and not a use case. So the schedule one to three would be for cannabis itself. And then the methods by which it's ultimately distributed inside of the state, I think would still defer to the state's sort of rights of, are we a medical program or are we an adult use recreational program? And then in the States, we'll still see this now, but then let me think about this now. Would that mean that the Fed would allow for interstate commerce when it comes to I, I don't I don't think that's what you're looking at with one to three. I think you would need a more comprehensive national normalization of the product itself um, to to create sort of that interstate commerce network. I, I don't think that's what we're going to see with a with a schedule one to schedule three. And then you know, but then when you're just saying that it, it it to me, it just doesn't seem like it would then make any sense to prohibit it, though you will allow for, monetary regulations from, you know, say banking and all those things across state lines, but you're not going to allow for the sale of the product across state lines. Puts us back in the quagmire truthfully of when this really all was made illegal to begin with back in 1937. Yeah. Most people don't understand this was made illegal because of the Marijuana Tax Act. Had nothing really to do with the Marijuana Illegal Drug Act, though they pushed it that way. It was the Marijuana Tax Act because you know, it was Anslinger and a bunch of his cronies saying that, you know, you can never actually track the seed across the state line, which is absolutely true. So I think, look, I think that's fair. I think, look, we're not going to see safe banking with the rescheduling. 
right? That's it. We're not going to have sort of a comprehensive safe banking passage with rescheduling. Well, I think really nice though. Wow. No, I, I think now, do you start to see some people uh, act differently? So do you start to see stocks potentially get uplisted into domestic exchanges? Yeah, I mean, maybe people look at the the view of sort of risk with regards to the industry a bit differently from a financial point of view. But I, this would be this is separate and apart from safer banking or any of the other things that you're seeing in Congress right now. Um, I think the the other thing to your point about interstate, I think the states themselves right now are probably the biggest push against interstate. Because if you are a state that was early and you have a mature adult use and recreational market, you have a lot of tax revenue, you have a lot of jobs that have been created. Most of the companies are vertical, so you have cultivation and manufacturing facilities. If you look at a company like ourselves, if interstate was legal, we would not operate vertically in every state, right? We would have a couple of really big bets, really scaled facilities. Um, and that's where we would, you know, we would sort of decrease the complexity and cost in our supply chain. And I think states are well aware of that. So if you're in one of those states that may lose those jobs or that that sort of part of the supply chain, your governor is probably not supporting and your state senators are not supporting interstate commerce. Wow. OK. Yeah, I, I, I now follow you with that. No ifs, ands or buts. And so, you know, what are you are you what, what's your company planning to do in the face of this possible legislative change? You know, it's 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 interesting. Hope is not a strategy. So we, we're building our business, our model, we're, we're operating our company as if there will be no change, right? Obviously, if rescheduling comes, it's incredibly advantageous financially to a company like us. It, it fundamentally changes what, what the valuation of the company is. It fundamentally changes our position with regards to our effective tax rate and you know how immediate sort of difference in cash flow. Um, we're gonna run this company as if nothing's gonna change. So I, our belief is if we can be a great company under these sort of current restrictions, as you lift them away, we're just an even better company. And so I think that is, look, that's our that's our pledge to shareholders. That's the way that we're going to try to continue to create value is sweat our assets, be conservative in our expenditures, put out great product through great facilities that people want to sort of tie themselves to those brands and build value that way. Um, and as 280E comes away, great, right? It's It just puts us in a better position. Wow. And, and then when it comes to... Are you offering the same products in each marketplace under the same umbrella or I mean, meaning, you know, like what you produce in Boston or Massachusetts, are you producing in California or are you doing specific products in each individual market? So I think, I think right now we're probably in the best position that we've ever been with regards to some consistency across the markets. So there's a lot of overlap in the products that we produce. Um, but there's also some facilities that don't have the exact same capabilities as others. We obviously have genetic and strain variation from cultivation facility to cultivation facility. So there's definitely some nuance uh, in some of the local executions. There's some regulatory. You were just talking about Georgia before, right? Like there's, there's states where there's regulatory restrictions on certain formats and, and types of product. Um, so for the most part, I think we have a pretty healthy overlap. If you're a consumer in Massachusetts, for example, and you go on a ski trip to Colorado or go to the beach in California, you can still get and see a lot of the same products, but there will be some difference from market to market. And of course, there's differences in the packaging, differences in the regulations and our market to market yeah. to municipality to municipality, right? Yeah. And, and part of it is also like 
you know, when I first got hired into the industry, like six months in, I did an interview with Forbes and I caught a bunch of flack from some people about it, but I had a lot of people come to me and were like, oh my God, you get it. And it, the whole thing was, there's not supposed to be a McDonald's of weed, right? Or like a Coca-Cola of weed in a lot, in, in the traditional sense, like flour, it's okay if there's regional differences. And if there's certain strains, like, you know, you go to New York and get, a, you know, like a, a super legacy lemon sour diesel strain, right? And that that's okay. Like, it's okay if that is something that's incredibly unique to that facility and they do it really well and consumers love it. I don't think there should be an issue with there being variation and embracing sort of that variance and uniqueness yeah. in the plant. And people don't, I mean, most of the, the consumer is starting to get that and understand the fact that that super sour diesel in mass is going to be different than the one in DC. It's going to be different just because of the, the atmosphere, just because of um, the altitude. There's no question. And here's the thing. I would I would say a lot of our consumers already understand that. I think some of the newer consumers who are coming into the space that are starting with either more medicinal products or starting with formulated or concentrate-based products that are now starting to test and enjoy flower-based products, that's a learning, that's a learning experience for them. And you know, it, I, what does cannabis do to and what does your company do? to help, you know, I think one of the, I've said this from day one, you know, I think one of the biggest issues that I've had with this industry is the fact that, and I've been doing this again since really 2000, um, is that we do a lot of work B2B. We do yeah. all kinds of educational work B2B. We do a piss poor job B2C. Even till today, I mean, our educational processes and providing the, the consumer with information that can help them navigate a place. You know, the brand new consumer, you were just talking about the new consumer. They walk in, especially the baby boomer, they walk into a shop and there's 150 different offerings. They have no idea what they're doing, what they're gonna get. And then they take, let's say the word of one bud tender who says, we'll try this. They go home, they take a couple hits. Ah! And then they jump off the bathroom. You know what I mean? Yeah. The guy misread what they were really looking for. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, when when does your industry or does your company yeah. do a lot of face-to-face -to -face touching of the consumer in an educational way? So, you know, we, we use this terminology internally, empathetic education, right? And I think it's, you, you have to meet people where they are and you have to try to be a bit more open and understand to your point, like what is walking in the door with regards to their knowledge level, their comfort, Two things that I observed immediately starting in this space. Number one, dispensaries are super intimidating. Like legacy structure for dispensaries, that's not shopping. That is like a, a cattle call line that you get put in. And before you know it, you're standing in front of a bud tender with a TV above their head and they're looking at you like, what do you want? Right. And there's a line of people behind you and you're like, I don't, I don't know, right? That is terrible and it's intimidating and it's it's tough and some of it's regulatory driven some of it is just the reality of the way a dispensary operates to try to be efficient right so we tried to break that with cannabis when you walk into those stores they feel much more like a normal shopping experience there's a lot of points of interest there's a bar there's a lot of places that you can engage and interact through the floor to like just take a breath and and get your bearings the other thing is we built a platform called Forage really early on when I when I came to Columbia Care, now Cannabis. Um, and what Forage was all about was helping people answer like four or five or six contextual questions and making product recommendations based on that. And 
the way that we did it was different than everything else that was in the space. It starts with a question of how do you want to feel today? It was the most common question that I heard great bud tenders and great associates ask when someone walked in a dispensary. And from there, it's like, well, how do you want to feel today? Well, what are you planning on using this for? Are you trying to solve a problem? Where are you planning on using it? What are you comfortable using? And based on all of those questions on that interactive system that we have, both in-store and you can use it on your mobile or on your desktop, um, it, it provides back a list of products that should be a great, great way to start, like a great recommendation engine. What we saw is that technology started getting used collaboratively by our associates. They would literally walk out on the floor and say, hey, let me, let's do this together. And they would go through Forage and they would end up with some great product recs. So I think we as an industry have to do a way better job of saying, hey, no pressure. Let's talk about what you're trying to solve for. People buy solutions, right? So what are you trying to solve for? Let's start from there. Let's make some good recommendations. Keep a diary. Did it work? How did you like it? Did you not like this experience? Did you like a different one more? Come back in and let's 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 adapt. Let's change those recommendations if we need to. Right. And people you do need to understand is that over the course of time with your cannabis experience, you know, your tolerance levels do change the way um, you and, and the, based on what you ate this morning, it may change the response that you get out of something that you consume this afternoon. And so, um, you know, I think it's like I, from my perspective, I just thought that, you know, as an industry, before it gets completely out of our hands, we've got to do a better job of educating the consumer and, you know, not just giving them a handout or not just saying this name, this name, this name, but literally talking through the fact that you just said consumer walks in. Sometimes people who walk in looking for cannabis. I think anybody who walks in to a dispensary looking for cannabis is really walking in for a medical reason, even if they don't understand it themselves. They've, I, chosen, I, cannabis, they've chosen cannabis over something else, <coughs> over alcohol, over opioids, yes. over other drugs. For a specific reason, whether it's uh, they just want to relax when they come home from work, or you know, I, a lot of dispensaries we go visit and do pop-ups for, you know, people at that that four thirty five o'clock hour, boy, the place just packs up because people coming home. Oh, yeah. And what do they oh, want? Yeah. To, they want to be able to go home from work and relax, or they want to be able to go home from work and shut it down. They want to be able to come home from work and maybe you know ease some of the the pain in their feet from having stood up all day, or ease the pain in their butt from having sat down all day. So. You know, we have to be able to, to you've said it, meet them where they are, kind of get yeah. them into a conversation and make them understand that though we're not saying that you're a patient, we're saying that you may be doing this for an underlying reason that you have not even identified yourself. Yeah, look, I agree. We, I, I try to talk with our team. Don't worry if they're a patient or a customer based on if it's a recreational market or not, whether they have a card or they, or they don't. Everyone's coming in to to fix or change or enhance something. Don't, there's no judgment there, right? To your point, like whether you want a funnier movie, better tasting dinner, less sore knees, or you know, less annoying in-laws, whatever you're looking for, that we have a product for that. And I mean, that's kind of a fun sales pitch, right? If we're being honest, like not not the worst product to be in the in the business of selling. This changes people's lives for the positive. And so I think it's you just gotta be a good empathetic, consultative person to say, talk to me. What is it that you're really trying to do? And I bet you we can find something that works. Absolutely. Look, talk to me a little bit about this new partnership that you have with the Revelry brand. 
Yeah, so we, we've announced, like I said, partnerships are in our DNA. We love them. We, we went into a, almost a year and a half long process where we were in a potential merger with another company in the space. And so we were sort of pencils down. Um, now that we've come back out of that, we're launching national partnerships. We announced Old Pal. We announced Revelry. Uh, we announced Butter Cake with Matha and her team, Arrow, uh, Lily Extracts. There's some incredible partners. We've got more that are coming that are going to be announced. Um, you know, Revelry, one of the ones that you mentioned, really cool brand. They do both lifestyle stuff um, as well as uh, product. So great bags, great accessories, um, great, great flower, great pre-rolls. Old Pal is a brand that everyone knows it's a super revered brand in the space as far as you know just sort of easy approachable product um so we're launching them across the country arrow really really good vaporization products i mean just super popular in every market that we put them into you know butter cake i mean matha and her team i think they're gonna they're about to be the first baked good in the market i don't want to give too much away but you know they started as basically making baked goods and now we've moved them into a number of markets through a bunch of SKUs. um so we're, we're incredibly excited about these partnerships that we're launching I, I personally believe in our industry when you're a vertically integrated operator it's easy to lose sight of the audience that you're serving so if you separate the vertical part and the retail part. Our job is a retail platform, put the best brands on the shelf, make sure that they're there so that customers can have a great experience when they come in. From a vertical point of view, we obviously wanna build our own brands and we wanna launch brands that we know are gonna do a good job increasing what we're doing in those facilities. But these are all brands that I would buy as a consumer. I want them on our shelf in as many stores as we put them. And how do, and how do you choose the brand individually the for partnership? Oh man, I, there, there's not a lot of science here. I'm probably going to disappoint on the science side of it. So we meet with the teams, we talk with them. I want to understand from the founders, why are you doing it? Why does this matter to you? Who is the audience that you serve? Um, you know, wh what, what are the things that you're excited about in the industry? What are the things that you want to innovate on? And then from there, we try to make a decision of having something for everyone. So any new partnership that we bring in, we really don't want it to compete with any of the other partnerships that we've launched. We want it to be additive to it. So we want to create a partner ecosystem where everybody feels good about being in that, that platform with each other and not that we're just, you know, sort of putting people into a battle royale. So it's really, there's a, there's a team of people that get involved from our operations leaders to our partnership team, to our marketing team. They all get to weigh in. Everybody gets an opinion. It's not like I just sit down and say, this is going to be a brand that we're launching. And if people feel good about it, then we go. Wow. Okay. Well, I definitely am going to have my team reach out to you. <clears throat> Give me one second. <clears throat> I'm definitely going to have my team reach out to you and, and uh, see if there might be some interest in what we're doing. Because I've, I've been really getting, you know, tremendous response from people who have used our products now. You know, again, we have uh, everything from a snooze product to a calm to a chill to a energy product, all of which are formulations that I've worked with myself because, you know, as, as a patient, who does understand adult use also, um, that question, as you said, asking the question about how do you want to feel? Well, I've got a formulation that will help you navigate your day based on how you feel. I mean, I my energy that. product is one of those products that literally, you know, it will give you the euphoria that you want. It'll set you up as high as you want to be. However, it takes the edge off because there's just enough CBD on top of that, along with the terpene formulation to keep you from having the jitters. So you can use this in the morning before you go to work. You have a real good 
productive morning, good productive uh, middle of the day. You know, I come home, I want to start calming down a little bit because I've been sitting up here for a while and I've been racing. I'm telling you, my energy product, you know, you'll, you'll hit that two or three times. The next thing you know, you just clean the whole house. And, you know, so by mid-afternoon, I want to calm down. I want to be able to watch the, the news, have a conversation and not be bouncing off the wall. Well, I, I probably I pick my calm a lot of part of the day and then a couple hours before I'm ready to shut it down. I take a hit off the snooze and I'm ready to shut it down. And the snooze is a very unique product, I think, in the marketplace because it's got, you know, four of the uh, cannabinoids, you know, the major one being THC, but it's also got, you know, uh, CBD, CBN, CBC. A lot yep. of people are using a lot of CBC, but it's got CBC along with particular terpenes put on top of that to help elicit that response that it will definitely put you in a snooze mode. Or if in the, the top of the day, I've hit the energy too much, where I'm like bouncing off the walls, I can take a hit of that snooze and it'll bring me right back down. Give me a comfortable afternoon. Yeah. No, I mean, look, CBN is one of those that, you know, I think once we all realized what we had with that in combination with some other stuff to create some of those sleep and calming products, that's that's been a lot of fun. Those products are are incredibly widely used. Absolutely. And I think I've got some, I've got a, an opportunity to partner with another group that's got a very, very unique uh, uh delivery system that's very unique to this business that I, I I can't wait to be able to launch nationally. All right. Well don't give it don't give it away. We'll talk offline. Yeah. I want to hear more about it. We'll talk offline. Yeah, this is the most quiet ones. All right, for sure. Well brother, I mean uh, uh, tell me, you know, how do you think the cannabis customer base has evolved over the past couple of years? Um that's a great question. So I'll just give you my observations, right? I think I think I've seen a very interesting growth curve over the last four or five years in the space. Um, I think they're becoming more aware that THC isn't everything, right? To your point, like we, I mean, we make some unbelievable product. We grow some strains that are, you know, testing over 30%. We, we make, you know, live resin stuff and, and other products that are just, you know, out of control diamonds and all sorts of stuff that it's, it's nuts. Right. But I think there's something to be said for just a really, really good product at like a, 18 to 24% testing, like a great flower that just is in your zone, right? Like the right terps, the right flavor, the right experience, the right everything. I think we've seen a bit of that change, right? So it's almost like college kids buying Everclear to get drunk and then you never ever see them ever buy that again, right? By the time they're 35, you'd never find that in the liquor cabinet. So I think that is, that's the sort of maturation that I've seen in a lot of markets. I think expansion too of audience, right? Like you alluded to it earlier, not just the baby boomers, but you know, I the female audience. Yes. Edibles, ingestibles, hard pressed yes. tablets, uh, beverages, right? All of these incredibly approachable forms that have nothing to do with smoking, right? That now, you know, I, I show up to dinner parties or I have conversations with people and it's there's edibles out right next to a bottle of wine. And it's like, right. oh, I get it. You know, like this is, it's happening. So I think that is the change that, that I've seen that's incredible. Yeah, I would agree with you. I think the maturation of the uh, available consumer has literally changed the entire dynamic. I mean, I, I for me, uh, visiting, you know, I, I go to, to Boston and I will visit, you know, in the course of a four-day period of time, we try to do two to three dispensaries a day. So I may hit in three days, 12 dispensaries. And it's in it's it's clear and obvious to me when I'm standing in there 
and I'm not again, baby boomers. Uh, well, uh, let's go Gen Zers, Gen Xers come in, walk out the door with two pre-rolls of the highest, strongest THC they can get. Baby boomers come in, they take a slow approach to, I need, yeah. some, gum, I need some of this, I need some of yeah. this, one of this. And you know, they, they have a package that they walk out the door with and you know they ain't coming back. They may not come back every day buying a $5 pre-roll, but they're gonna come back every week resupplying that supply of $150 that they bought the week before. So, uh, and they understand what they want. They're going, nah, 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 I don't do that. But I, I like this. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so funny that you say that I was having this conversation last week and I said, look, there's three places that you can accidentally run into your grandparents. Now it's an yeah. Apple store, a grocery store, or a dispensary, right? Like that <laughs> is literally, that's, I mean, we're, we're all buying, we're all <laughs> buying iPhones, we're all buying produce and we're all showing up to buy weed. So it's, Absolutely. it's unbelievable, but it's true. I, I like that. I like that. That's, that's a good saying. I might have to borrow that from you. Look, you know, uh, what, what's your vision for the future of cannabis? Just normalization, right? Like just it, it, the taboo and everything around it to continue to just be removed. Um, the, the recognition that this is a, this is a, a beneficial plant. Like this is, a, this is something that brings a lot of positivity to a lot of people's life. And I think what we will see is that, you know, for the generations to come, this will be regarded the same way that, you know, alcohol or anything else is as far as, you know, for social gatherings, for relaxing or unwinding on your own, for using for medicinal purposes. So, you know, my my hope, my vision for it is a, a normalized sort of experience of buying and consuming cannabis that's consistent with things that we already use in our everyday life. Well, you know, I'm with you with that. And I got to tell you, add one more little piece to it. As we've noticed, and there is now hard data coming out. Champagne yeah. sales are down. Hard That's alcohol it. sales are down. Beer sales are down. And I bet you there's no ifs, ands, or buts. We can tie that directly to the fact that people have decided to make a choice, especially coming out of COVID. They were sitting around at home, you know, after that fourth week of knocking out the, the fifth of vodka or knocking out the fifth of some hard liquor, realizing how bad they felt the next morning. Then somebody turned them on to a little cannabis and wow, all of a sudden a light bulb went off. Over the course of, of COVID, that light bulb went off enough to say, you know what? I can literally sit down and have the euphoria that I want to have, but wake up in the morning and go to work. I can wake yeah. up in the morning and work at my desk. Wow, mm -hmm. hmm, that's a trip. And now all of a sudden, now that COVID's kind of over, they're going, you know what? I would rather, I've talked to so many people who said, you know, dude, I used to be the, you know, two, three glasses of wine drinker at night. Mm, I might have, a, I might have a quarter of a glass of wine, but the second I, I fire up my joint, uh, the wine goes back on the shelf. I, it's a, it's a five mig gummy, right? Like that's what I hear all the time is I used to drink wine and now I eat a five mig gummy. It's look, I, I was talking with an investor the other day and I said, this is an unbelievably unique opportunity as an industry because everybody points to all these data points and says, this is going to be a hundred billion dollar industry. It's This is a hundred billion dollar industry. It's what percentage of it is legal at any moment. Correct. in time. It's yeah, no question. We know for a fact that back in 2021, the legal market sold $25 billion worth of cannabis. And we know that the illicit market sold close to 70 to 75 billion. There's your 100 billion right there. So we're well, beyond that. we're well beyond that. And guess what? We're nothing more than like the Wright brothers pushing that wooden plane down a hill. That's it. You know I mean? and, and, and that's it. Yeah, we need jet engines on this bad boy. We need to put some wheels on this bad boy. That's going to happen real soon. They're coming. They're coming. Yeah. 
it's it's look it, it is like i said this is we trains left the station so our job now is to try to keep it you know as as accurate of a representation of the people that we serve as possible moving forward as an industry i think that is we got to fight for for that part of the industry absolutely and we we do need to have some of these diehard diehard dinosaurs from both sides of the party out Go home. Yeah, you're going home smoking a joint anyway. You may as well let us. <laughs> Listen, statistically speaking, probably 35% of them that are voting against it are are using it. So You know they are. They just lying through the teeth. Anything else you want to add, my friend? No, listen, man, I, I appreciate you having me on. Appreciate the opportunity to, to talk about the company. And thanks for everything that you're doing for the industry, mm -hmm. for, for us as an organization. We, we appreciate it. No, thank you, sir. And look, if people wanted to find out more about you, what's the stats? Give out all your stuff. Yeah. So look, Cannabis Company is the, the parent company. We operate nine retail brands as far as uh, dispensary uh, banners across the country. Um, you can find out more about us online under the Cannabis Company umbrella. And you can see if there's somewhere that, that a state that we serve or locations close to you. Uh, and you can find out more about our brands like Seed and Strain and Triple Seven, Classics, Heady, Amber, Press. There's, there's a lot of great stuff out there to try. So we, we look forward to seeing you soon. Absolutely. And I, I will reach out to you offline and let's see if we can have some conversations. Okay, my friend? Let's do it. You got it. Thanks, Montel. We appreciate it. For sure. You stay well. Take care of yourself. Love that family of yours. And we'll see you next time. And of course, you always have an open invitation to come back, talk about anything you got. Okay? Thank you, sir. Absolutely. And for all of you out there, make sure you tune in to the next edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Thanks for joining me on Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Please make sure you're subscribed and hit the bell to be notified when new episodes post each week. We'd love to hear your feedback also, so please send us your comments. Thanks for listening to today's show. To check out more great cannabis podcasts, go to podconnects.com. Here's a preview of one of our other shows. I'm Larry Mishkin, and I'd like to invite you to join Rob Hunt and me on our weekly podcast, The Deadhead Cannabis Show. Each week, we explore the latest cannabis and jam band news and reminisce with other deadheads and jam band lovers about the great musical acts that we've seen and heard. Check out a new episode every Monday.